Welcome to the High Praises Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's worship pastor, Billy Jump. I'm Pastor Billy. I'm the worship pastor here at the church. And normally you see me there at the keyboard. Or some Sundays, maybe I'm off to the side, not doing anything. Um, (laughs) But I'm around. Um, But it's an honor today to be able to share a message with you. Uh, And I want to thank Pastor Chris Uh, If he's watching today for the opportunity, I don't take it lightly. Uh, It's a great church. We have a great pastor, great leaders, and I'm humbled uh, to be a part of the staff and to uh, be able to share with you today. I want to share the scripture with you today from 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. It says, Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all the things that belong to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. You may be seated. Did you enjoy that time in worship today? I feel the presence of the Lord up here, and it's so, so sweet. Well, a man was trying to teach his horse to obey and to stop and start on command. This man was a very religious man, so he came up with a couple of religious statements to use in training his horse. He trained the horse to go on the command words, Praise the Lord! And he trained the horse to stop on the command word, hallelujah. One day he was riding the horse and it took off. He lost control of the horse and he forgot his words. The horse had been trained only to respond to these key words. Up ahead was a cliff and the horse was headed for it full speed. The man tried thinking of every religious word he had ever heard. He shouted, amen, Jesus saves, worthy, holy. Nothing worked. Just as the horse approached the edge of the cliff, the man shouted, hallelujah. And the horse stopped right there on the edge. The man wiped his head and said, praise the Lord. (laughs) So if you didn't get that, you're going to hear that sometime this afternoon. It's kind of funny. (laughs) But the point is, there's power in praising and worshiping the Lord. Indeed, things change when you worship. And recently I told Lindsay, my wife, I said, you know, the next time I preach, I'm going to talk about how to deal with suffering. I just felt that so strong. I feel like a lot of people are dealing with hurt, pain, suffering, Maybe it's in their relationships or families or economically. A lot of people are hurting. And sometimes as Christians, we feel like we have to push down all those emotions or those feelings or those problems and just kind of act like everything's okay. We have to kind of act happy. But it's not okay. And sometimes we need to deal with those feelings and those emotions and those problems. But I also recognize that not everybody today is dealing with suffering. You may be here today and you're blessed 
Things are good on your job and good at home. You have plenty of money and your body's healthy. There's nothing wrong with that. I rejoice with you and I thank God for his blessings upon your life. But maybe your struggle is in spiritual nature. Or you feel disconnected from God. Or maybe you feel out of place in church when you get into an atmosphere of worship like we had today. Maybe you feel like something's missing in your life. No matter what it is, the reality is we're all dealing with something. So I began thinking about how I could speak to everybody, no matter where you find yourself in life today, and give you something tangible that you can take home from the Word of God. And that's when I remembered this passage of Scripture. You see, this passage has been preached many times. Usually, the part about this passage that people highlight is when David enters into Jerusalem and he's dancing and he's spinning and he's praising God and he's worshiping before the Lord with all his might. And the next couple of verses talk about how his wife, Saul's daughter, Mishal, looked down on him from the palace with hate in her heart. and She despised his worship. And then a preacher will talk about how people will hate your worship, but you need to shout and dance and run and spin and do whatever you want in God's presence with worrying about whatever people think. And I agree with all that. I think you should absolutely do all those things and not worry about what the world thinks or what people next to you think or your spouse thinks. But this week, I'm more concerned with the events leading up to this exuberant display of worship we see in verses 14 and 15. Before the worship, there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of fighting. There was disappointments and losses and heartbreak. And you name it, David and the nation of Israel had faced it all. So we have to take a brief journey through David's life before we can fully understand the significance of his worship when he brought the ark into Jerusalem. You see, when David was a young man, he was a shepherd, tending to the flocks of his father. He was working in the fields and he was minding his own business when one day a prophet by the name of Samuel showed up at his father's house and asked to meet him. It was on that day when David was anointed by Samuel to be the second king of Israel after Saul. Many of you know this story. Sometime later, we find the armies of Israel being confronted by the Philistines. They're being taunted by the Philistinian champion, Goliath. He was a ruthless giant. And David comes along just a, a boy with a slingshot and a few stones. And he goes out to meet Goliath. And you may remember this story about David and Goliath. The power of God falls on David. And with one shot, he, he kills Goliath and cut off his head. He picks it up, carries it around. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe he did. He takes it back to the Israelites. David was one of the first Avengers before Captain America or any of the others. We had David, the shepherd, the warrior, the king. While David is celebrated and revered by the people of Israel, there was another king at that time, King Saul, the first king of Israel. He became jealous of David and things escalate between Saul and, and David to the point where David flees Israel and eventually he takes shelter in the land of the Philistines, which are the enemies of Israel. 
But eventually, God's plan comes to pass, and Saul dies, and David becomes king of Israel. And one of David's objectives as the king was to go retrieve the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of God, and bring it back to Jerusalem. Now, the Ark of God was the physical representation of the presence of God. It had been captured by the Philistines, and about a year after it was captured, it was moved back to Israel, and it was stored in the house of a man named Abinadab. So if you're looking for a name this morning, hey, that's one, Abinadab. William's another one. (laughs) Abinadab was the son of Saul. As a matter of fact, the ark of God had been stored away for over 20 years before King David went to the house of Abinadab and brought it, back to, or brought it to Jerusalem. Now, we talk about people who miss church for a month or for two months or maybe a year go, goes by, and they didn't realize they've been away from the house of God. But they may go weeks or even months without experiencing the power of God like we did here today. But remember, the ark of God was the physical representation of the presence of God. And I found evidence in the scriptures that there were supernatural occurrences and blessings being associated with the ark. Meaning, it was also uh, not just the physical representation, but it also carried the presence of God. This means the people of Israel had been out of the presence of God, or they hadn't experienced the presence of God for that long, for those 20 years. And this is kind of where the action begins to pick up a little bit to get uh, in our story. So as a sidebar, I don't know how long this is going to take. It may be kind of short, so I don't know what that means. (laughs) Other than I hope they're listening. Anyway, never mind. I digress. (laughs) I always worry about the time, but it works out okay. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David gathers the men, and they go up to the house of Abinadab to get the ark. And verse 3 says, when they go to the house, they place the ark on a new cart. And this is where their trouble began. They set out to go get the ark and bring it back to Jerusalem. Easy peasy. No problem. But in the process, they decided they would do things a little differently. They would take advantage of modern technology. Instead of carrying it by hand, they would throw it up on the back of King David's brand new Ford F-150 Lightning. And because they were in the desert, I said the Lightning because I I think that sun, it was probably solar powered. And that just makes sense to me. (laughs) So they started up the road doing it their way. And the new cart stumbles, and one of the men in David's crew, his name was Uzzah. That's a cool name, Uzzah. Abinadab Uzzah. (laughs) Reaches up and touches the ark, and God became angry and struck him, and he died right there. Can you imagine? He just touches this thing, and he dies right there in the middle of the road. Sounds like David's plans weren't working out too well, doesn't it? I don't know about you, 
but I've been there. I have taken things into my own hands many times because I thought I knew better or even because I thought God didn't know what he was doing. I remember one time I felt kind of forgotten, kind of stuck. I got a little off course and I was volunteering at my home church. I was playing the organ in the music ministry. Uh, I was really involved, but I was kind of getting impatient because I, I knew I had the calling into ministry, but I didn't have an assignment at the time. So one night I was kind of irritated and I drove up to the house where my brother was living in Dayton, Ohio, and thought, you know what, if ministry isn't going to work out for me, I'm just going to do my own thing and have fun instead of volunteering my time to do something that I should be getting paid for. So I went up to his house and we went out to get a bite to eat and watch some TV and then I had to go home and get ready for bed and go to work the next day. As I'm backing out his driveway, did I mention I'm a terrible driver? As a matter of fact, my wife didn't even know I put this in the sermon today. And on the way to church today, she's doing the whole grabbing the sides. And she's like, you are the worst driver that I have ever seen. She's like, you don't even care that there's a yellow line there. I mean, I try. I try. What can I say? But you can ask her. She won't hold back. Anyway, I'm backing up out of the driveway. I misjudge my angle and drove right over an embankment about a four-foot ledge between my brother's driveway and his neighbor's driveway, and my car was stuck. I actually have a picture of this. Suspended between the two driveways. In that moment, I remember thinking, that's what I get for trying to do things my way. I don't remember how we got the car out of that situation. I really don't. We may have had to tow it. But I do remember asking God to forgive me, correcting course, getting back on track, doing what I should be doing. And that's kind of what happened to David. At this point, he's angry and even scared. Verse 9 says, David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? He, he wasn't scared in the sense of being frightened as much as he was developing a healthy fear of the Lord and understanding, okay, we got to do this God's way. And he begins to think about the right way to bring the ark to Jerusalem. In the meantime, David left the ark. This is like name day. I can't make this up. At the house of Obed-Edom for three months. And the scripture says that for three months, the house of Obed-Edom was blessed. And David takes note and decides they need to go get the ark and bring it to Jerusalem. So he's got this ark. The guy touches it. He dies. David kind of sets it aside, leaves it at this guy's house. And, man, this guy's house is just getting blessed. And David says, okay, now we got, we got to go back. We got to go back. We got to get the ark to Jerusalem. And this time they do things the right way. Verse 13 tells us when they went up to get the ark, the Levites, the ones who were qualified by God to carry the ark, picked up the ark and carried it by hand. And beginning in verse 13, the Bible says, And so it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. 
Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and he was wearing a linen ephod. Which, by the way, I thought about this. I thought, man, you could go an entirely different direction with this because David took off the clothes of a king and he put on the clothes of a priest. And that part will preach. You could do something with that. I don't know if I could do something with it. Pastor Chris could do something with that. <laughs> but he's getting in a posture. He's posturing himself. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of a trumpet. What did they do? What was different about this time? The difference was they worshipped. Things changed because they worshipped. They brought the ark of God to Jerusalem. The city was blessed. The people were blessed. And the presence of God was alive and active in Israel. So you see David come in and he's dancing and all that scene. And then he's passing out food to people. And he's coming up with this prayer and stuff. If you keep reading, like they're just going to keep the ark and they're going to do everything right. They're, they're laying the foundation for the building of the temple uh, in the future. I mean, it's just awesome. The presence of God. I want to tell you today, things change when you worship. Amen. Things change when you worship. Hallelujah. Come on, Leah, give the Lord praise. So, there's sort of a recurring theme in my life, my wife will attest to, after almost 10 years of marriage. I always try to do things on my own the first time. I don't know what it is. I have done it over and over again. It's a weakness I face, and when I pray with the help of God, I will, or maybe I am overcoming. I think I'm getting better. I hope I am. So not too long after the car incident <laughs> at my brother's house, I found out there was a worship pastor job open at a church in Cleveland, Ohio, which was about five hours from where I lived in Cincinnati. And I emailed the pastor, and I said, hey, I'm interested in this job. And I had met him several years ago, back when I was a student at Lee University, when I was passing through South Georgia. So he invited me up for an interview and asked me to minister to the church that Sunday. And I got up there on a Friday night, went to dinner. Everything was fine. Got up on Saturday morning, went to the church. It was a beautiful church. It was actually right on Lake Erie. I met several people from the music department, and we had a rehearsal. And it was probably one of the worst rehearsals that I've ever led in my life. Now, if you're a part of my department, you know rehearsals with me can be, get a little hectic uh, because I have kind of a collaborative style. But I hadn't developed any of that then. I was just a mess. And I took for granted that they would have some music there, you know, for the band. And I thought, we'll go in, we'll pick a couple songs, they'll know them, if I need to learn them, whatever. I thought it would be easy. And that is not how it went, unfortunately. They didn't have any sheet music. They didn't have any chord charts for the band. And this was like a decent-sized church. To make matters worse, they didn't know the songs that I knew, and I didn't really ever do the songs that they knew, 
we were at a literal standstill, and I'm supposed to be interviewing for this job and making a good impression on this pastor and his worship team. I was dying inside that day. So finally, I remember this song that I had played with my church where I was volunteering. It had about four verses and four choruses, and only one word changed each time it went to a new verse. <clears throat> so there we were, maybe four chords into the whole song, and it was the best idea I could come up with. I taught it to them as quickly as I could, and that night, they took me back to the hotel, and as soon as I got back to my room, I fell on the bed and prayed, Oh God, if you'll just get me out of this, I will just stop trying to make this worship ministry thing happen. I was terrified. I prayed off and on the whole night, just asked God for mercy. I'm so sorry, Lord. I just wanted to get through this service without making a complete and utter fool of myself. Throughout the night, though, something happened. And when I got to the church the next morning, I made a change in, in my mentality. I decided I would just worship God and see what happened. Amen. The service started, and the pastor introduced me to the congregation. We started singing that song and I, that I taught them the day before. And man, it got down into my spirit. It actually got back into my spirit when I was writing the last part of my sermon notes last night. I wanted to sing it today. I think the band would have killed me. <laughs> and I began to declare it. You are a mighty God. You are a mighty God. Mighty God, mighty God, yes, you are a mighty God. And the chorus is just mighty, mighty, mighty God, mighty God, yes, you are a mighty God. Then we change the word, that one word, holy. You are a holy God. Something started to happen. The band finally locked into those chords. The congregation was clapping and singing, and we sang, you are a holy God. And then we changed keys. We took it up. We started singing, you are an awesome God. And it started to break loose in that church. Somebody shouted. Everybody was singing. I can't remember, but somebody might have come down to the altar at this point. But what I know happened is my feet started moving. And as I'm playing the keyboard and, and singing... Right about the time we hit the drum break, I started dancing in the spirit. You say, how do you know you were dancing in the spirit? Well, honey, take a look at me. <laughs> I was dancing in the spirit. <laughs> and I started playing the keyboard with my hands. I was dancing with my feet, singing with my mouth, and we sang that song for probably an hour or more. And people poured down to the altar. The pastor laid hands on everybody. The Spirit of God moved throughout that church. It was one of the most powerful services, honestly. I mean this sincerely. It's not just a story that I've ever been a part of in my life. And I still didn't get the job. <laughs> I don't know what happened the next week. <laughs> God knew I was going to come here one day, amen? 
But God answered my prayer, and I didn't make a fool of myself. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. What happened in that service? Things changed because I took my eyes off of the obstacle in front of me, and I just began to worship God. Amen. Now, as I close this morning, I want you, I want to encourage you to make worship a priority in your life. And the band and singers, y'all come. We're going to sing a little bit more. We're going to worship this morning. Does it have to be musical worship? Not necessarily. I hope that when you're in church, just as you were today, you'll remember this sermon and make an effort to worship God. But you can worship at home, too. You can worship God at home by singing to him. You can just sit there in your chair and you can speak praises to him. God, I love you. I worship you today. I'm so thankful to have a relationship with you, God. I'm grateful for all you've done in my life. I'm thankful for Jesus and for the cross. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful, God, that Jesus rose from the dead. God, I'm facing a situation in my life, but I, I just worship you because I know you're good and you're in control. Amen. Maybe you can get down in the floor and just say, God, what do you want from me today? Well, how is that worship? Well, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. One version says, instead of your reasonable service, which is your spiritual worship. So when you offer yourself to God, you're giving him a worship offering. When you say, what do you want from me today? You're offering yourself to God in worship. And finally, when you begin to worship, you take your eyes off of your circumstances, whatever situation you're in, and focus your attention on God. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.